0: Welcome to Brand On Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a seismic impact on work. Currently, 42% of the American workforce is remote, according to a recent survey from job marketplace Upwork, and an estimated 27% will continue to work remotely through 2021. These teleworkers rely heavily on technology that keeps them connected to customers, clients, colleagues, and other key stakeholders. And messaging platform Slack is a vital player in this integration. My guest today takes this thread of facilitating conversations one step further. As head of Slack for Good and Public Affairs at Slack, Deepthi Rohatgi is responsible for overseeing all of Slack's social impact and public affairs activities that include the company's Slack for Good program, which we'll talk about which aims to increase the number of historically underrepresented individuals in the technology industry. To this work, she brings a background that is fascinating mix of government affairs, policy, software engineer, and thought leadership, including a stint as policy director at Yahoo prior to joining Slack, and a diplomat and director of IT and telecoms policy at the US Department of State. DeepT, welcome to Brand on Purpose.
1: Hey, Aaron. It's wonderful to be here.
0: How's that intro? Did I nail it? Any lies? Any myths, truths? Nailed good? it.
1: Absolutely nailed it.
0: Awesome. That's my goal in life. So thanks for coming on the show. You know, full disclosure, I love Slack. A couple of years ago, actually three years ago, when my team at the agency said, we need to, you know, we need to get everybody on Slack. I'm like, what is Slack? I mean, I kind of knew what Slack was but I was a little against it because I thought it would be a distraction. And what I didn't realize is culturally how important Slack has become to the agency. So yes, there's this whole productivity thing. Yep, 100%, check, 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 fine. But what's really been fascinating to me is how it's a little bit of a, actually not a little bit, a major cultural movement for the enterprise. Yep. Unlike anything I would have ever anticipated. And I wanna start there because you joined Slack in the early, early days. Okay. So Slack was founded 2013, right?
1: Yes. And you I, joined in
0: 2015?
1: Yeah. yeah. I joined. I'm just thinking my son is now sick. So yes, right after that. So in 2015, early 2015.
0: A lot going on in 2015. A lot going on for you in
1: 2015.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So did you think then that I mean, obviously you were kind of going for it, but did you realize that you would be joining what I think is really a movement.
1: Yes, I did. And I it was pretty clear because I think to you what you said a little bit earlier, people loved Slack. Who loves enterprise software? Nobody. And all of a <laughs> sudden there was a Twitter channel we had called Slack Love because everyone kept tweeting how much they love Slack to us. And I think just seeing that, And seeing that if you put a great user interface, you are really thoughtful as an engineer about what people want and need and make something intuitive. You can make software that's joyful. And we were making software that was making people more productive and happier, frankly. And so it it was just so clear from day one that this thing was going to blow up, to me at least.
0: Well, and look, I'm not here to do like a Slack love fest, but the other thing I just want to say is that like, first of all, it's a little bit cheeky. There's a little bit of whimsical nature to it, but not too much, right? It's not like on the nose. It's just just right. But what I love, honestly, and I don't know if people love this. I loved, I like the video feature, the calling feature, not just the call, but the video call. Yeah, It is so easy and you can draw and stuff. I don't know. I just love it. I think that my love affair with Slack only got kind of fortified during the pandemic. I can't think of many things that was positive about the pandemic, but the one thing that I've really loved is Slack. And I say this having been on so many different platforms and Slack is the one that I'm constantly glued to. So anyway, thank you for that since you're like an OG very early on employee and leader at Slack. So- You are welcome. Yes. So let's just pivot for a second because I think it's important because I think that having cultural relevance also gives you permission to tie into what's important culturally in the larger kind of zeitgeist, right? So talk a little bit about Slack for good. And then there's a few other programs i like you to talk about as well, because I don't think people think, I think people have very good vibes and feelings about Slack, but I don't think everybody thinks, oh, Slack has a huge social mission or purpose. And this is an opportunity to talk a little bit about that to, you know, even deepen the love affair for those of us who are Slack users.
1: Sure. Well, Slack for Good, our mission is to increase the number of underrepresented individuals in the tech sector. And from a broad overall, just how we feel about this is that we believe that talent is equally distributed and opportunity is not. So my team's mission is to figure out how to make sure that these opportunities are presented to everybody and particularly, those are historically underrepresented. We don't do this for marketing or for press. But yeah, it's we do the work. And we have a lot of programs. One in particular is called the Next Chapter Program, which focuses on formerly incarcerated individuals. But we've been at it since day one. From the inception of the company, it's been a, a focus for us. And it's been very intentional. So I am very lucky to be able to do this job at Slack.
0: So can you just drill a little bit deeper? How does the next chapter program work? And I ask because I recently had a guest on, maybe you've heard of Grayston Bakery. So they're the ones who bake and put those delicious little brownies inside of all the Ben and Jerry's that offers brownies inside of their ice cream. And they do something called open hiring. So you're probably familiar with open hiring. Yep. Which is again, it's trying to give people who have a talent And it can be any type of talent, but a talent, but not the opportunity to express or to utilize or monetize their talent, an opportunity to take care of themselves and their families where they had once been either marginalized. So what are the mechanics of it? I know you've you've got seven or eight new companies inside of the program.
1: Yeah. So maybe I'll just step back for a second and talk a little bit about where it starts from. So Mm -hmm. we have this philosophy that a company builds two things, the product and the culture. So we want employees to not only be productive and build great things, but feel really good about where they work and that their company cares about the things that they care about. So an example of this was in 2015. We were still really small. I still think under 200 employees. Stuart, our CEO, gave everybody a copy of the book Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson. And at the time, the company was doing super well, getting lots of great praise. But he wrote to us that when you are on top, this was in the Christmas card, he said when you were on top, especially when you were on top, you shouldn't lose sight of what it's like to be at the bottom. And that statement really resonated with not only me, but our colleagues and we thought about, well, we're doing so well as a company. Who isn't? And how can we help support them and give them some of the same opportunities that we are experiencing right now? And that's where it really started. Was we all read Just Mercy and we all started learning about the criminal justice system in the United States, and I think Five months later, Stuart and I and most of the executive team went to San Quentin, and we met individuals who were learning how to code while they were incarcerated without the internet. And we were just completely blown away by the talent we saw, just absolutely blown away by what these guys could do. And we started thinking about how could we build a pipeline for these gentlemen to join a company like Slack? And that's where the program began, and that's the genesis of it. So next chapter is our marquee program, has two goals. The first is to increase the number of formerly incarcerated individuals in the tech sector. And second, and just as important, is to shift the perceptions of this often overlooked community. So we now have 11 companies in the program, and we do two things. One, we train individuals to join these companies and give them the coding skills, the soft skills, the mentorship. And secondarily, we work with the companies to shift the culture so it's a welcoming place for these individuals. There's not fear, there's excitement. And these men and women can feel like they're joining a company where they can bring their whole selves to work and feel like they can thrive. And so that's, that's what the program is
0: how are you measuring success of the program because i don't think it's fair to just say oh we've put i mean it's nice to be able to say oh we've given 100 people jobs but it's more than that as well but how are you measuring success
1: measuring success is the number of people who get full-time offers Mm -hmm. how fast they're getting promoted and admittedly we're just starting this and three right now the wait list of companies who want to join our program we have a huge wait list at this point so for me that means it's working
0: Is part of the program giving them greater access to tools while they're in prison or they're serving as well so that they can further their skills? Because you said they're learning to code, but without the internet.
1: Yeah. So this program is built in partnership with many other organizations. We are experts at building enterprise software. We're not experts in racial equity. So one of our partners is an organization called The Last Mile, and they run these organizations throughout numerous prisons all over the country. So they work with the prisons themselves to bring in the computers, bring in the teachers, build the curriculum. So they start getting those sorts of skills while they're inside. And when they are released, then they apply to our program. And then we take them from from prison or recent release to the tech companies and support them while they are doing their apprenticeships.
0: So I'm going to ask you a question that you probably have never been asked before, or maybe by friends, and I'll tell you why I'm asking it after I ask it. Yeah. What was it like the first time you walked into a prison? Because you walked in. Yeah. yeah. I, should, I should say, you walked into a prison. Yeah. What did you feel, and what happened to you? Were any preconceived stereotypes or conceptions you know, reversed for you? 100%.
1: I think every stereotype and preconception I had was reversed. So the first time I went into San Quentin, I was actually three months pregnant. So I had babies on the mind. I'm thinking about my family while I'm building out this program. And the gentlemen I met were not only talented technically, but most of them were dads. Most of them had families at home. And when they were talking about what they wanted to do when they got out was to be a great dad, be a great family member, provide for their families And as I was in a process of building my own family, I could just relate to these men so much where all they wanted to do was go back to their families and provide for them. And they had the talent to do so. And it it was just completely incumbent on me to, to help them build that pathway. And I think when you see the humanity and realize they're just people, you get proximate to folks that you've only thought about from TVs or movies, they're all just people, right? They're just like us. They made a mistake they've served their time and then it's time for us all to move on and let them thrive when they go home.
0: Yeah. I feel like more people should have that experience. I asked that because we worked with an organization called Puppies Behind Bars for a number of years. And I also had their founder, Gloria, on the show last year. And what they do is they, they have inmates in a maximum security prisons across the country, raise puppies who then become guide dogs for first responders and or vets who need the assistance. And it's two years. They have these dogs in prison with them for two years. And I went to graduation day and I went to the Bedford Correctional Facility, which is not far from where I live, uh, all female. And it fundamentally changed me where I couldn't stop thinking about it for months. And still, this is more than a year and a half later, I still think about it. And never thought I'd ever have a level, I'm a pretty empathetic person self-described empathetic person. I never thought I would have that level of connection. And this is a maximum security prison. Some of these folks that were in there were in for murder, accessory to murder. I mean, very, very tough, tough crimes. And I felt a level of humanity I thought I would never feel. And I've been changed forever because of that. And I never thought that. I was like a lot, even though I'm a very progressive liberal person, the other side of me is like, lock them up. you know. And I don't know if I feel like that anymore, to be honest with you.
1: I think the reason our program was successful, and I think this is what we always say is getting proximate to the issue. You got proximate to the people that our system affects. Like we've had over 200 of our employees go to San Quentin. And before COVID hit, almost all of our partner companies, executives went as well. The executive team from Zoom went. And the minute, again, you're just faced with the realization they are people just like us, it's really difficult to not do anything. But I think you're absolutely right. More people should go.
0: What other issues are important in a similar vein that you're working on programmatically for Slack?
1: So one of the things that I think is important is, is again, to say that we are not experts on all of these issues. So we try and get our employees as close to the problems within their communities as possible. So we have a lot of offices around the world. And the way one defines an underrepresented group varies by country, right? The way you define it in Australia is different than you would define it in London, is different than you would define it Denver. And so each of our offices has a Slack for Good committee, and they work with organizations and give small grants to them to help increase the number of historically underrepresented individuals within their communities to, again, blossom and thrive. So it's, it's very much of partnering with people who are experts in both subject area and in locales, and figuring out how we can move the needle on this important issue.
0: So after the murder of George Floyd in May of 2020, at the start or the beginning of the pandemic, you know, the world is in a very, very bad place. I think we're slowly coming out of that bad place, but we still have a lot of work to do. Did you personally and did the company feel an even greater sense of urgency to address inequalities and equities, even through some of the programs that you have here, I mean, you were already there, which I credit you for, because so many companies are like, oh, we're going to do this now. And that's great. That company suddenly decided that they're going to be active, but you were already there. But how did that either change or provide more accelerant to what you're doing?
1: I think it's the accelerant. We saw companies that we had partnered with or we'd wanted to partner with who were a little bit reticent, all of a sudden say, how do help us? How do we do this? So I think it it made it a lot harder to say no to our program when there are so many reasons that you can. Just the knowledge that this is the right thing to do for our society, it just, it kind of became a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the culture that your CEO had built already. I mean, it's easy when you have that kind of culture that's built in, and you're also, people want to work with you. They wanna work for you because they understand the values of the company.
1: Yeah, and we're very clear about the values, both internally and I think externally. And I think one thing that has been helpful is we have a wonderful, wonderful comms team and they've never put any pressure on my team to have to, you know, write articles, do press. They've just let us focus on the work. So, you know, we partner with hundreds of our colleagues inside because there's so many issues around this program and many of the other programs we build that it's it's part of our DNA.
0: And what do you think... I think we're all kind of curious when we get back to normal, whatever normal is. We know we're still not at normal. I just read recently that I think we had the, the greatest number of air travelers ever since the pandemic, I think just a few days ago. And I know we're not supposed to timestamp podcast, but it's March 15th, 2021 right now. And that's promising, you know, I'm looking at the stats of the MTA in New York City, because that's an interesting surrogate or barometer for more people getting vaccinated, more people going back to work in the office. What do you think the future of work is going to be like? This is just a personal question. It's not about Slack's point of view, but from your vantage point, you've worked for Yahoo. You've worked for Slack from almost the beginning. You have a software background. You have a policy background. You've lived in other countries working for Slack, if I'm correct in in saying that, right? Were you in Ireland or no? No.
1: No, I've always been in based in the Bay Area, but when I oh. was a diplomat, I was based in South Africa and Jordan. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah. So you have a different kind of worldview, I think. You know, your aperture is wider than most. What do you think work's going to look like a year from now? Is it going to look like this? Is it going to look like a mixture of this? Because the beauty of Slack is that it doesn't matter if you're in the office or out of the office, you're still slacking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't... So I'll speak from a personal perspective. like Sure. As a mother... I am so excited to be able to work from home sometimes if my children are sick, just to be able to be home and be in the room with them while they're napping and bringing them soup and make them feel better. And Slack enables that. And I think our culture enables that for just as a working mother, I think it's going to be easier being home. And then from a diversity perspective, which is an area I'm focused on, obviously historically underrepresented individuals we can hire people in the communities that they're in. If I look at the apprentices we have this year, we're gonna have 21 apprentices in our next chapter program. Almost none of them are from the Bay Area, right? And all of our companies are from the Bay Area and they're staying home. And they're staying in the communities where they were raised, born, have families and doing their jobs. And I think just from that perspective, if you can stay in your communities and build technology and build potentially generational wealth in communities that have previously not had that access, I think it's going to be phenomenal.
0: Right. You are giving them economic empowerment without having to disengage from the communities that need that stimulus, right? Yeah. And role modeling and everything. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of it quite like that before. Hmm. No, I love that. And good job bringing it back to next chapter as well. Excellent. Yep. You've been trained very well. And just in your background, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. So when you were a student or visiting scholar at Stanford, you had created and piloted programs which allowed citizens in emerging markets to use new media and video technologies to share their perspectives on development issues. I feel like your role at Slack is it's bringing it all together, right? Because then you kind of moved away from that a little bit and you went into kind of the tech world and all that. And now you're back and you're bringing it all together because I think that you're, you still have this passion for serving underserved communities and using technology to do so.
1: Yeah. I mean, my time as a visiting scholar at Stanford was probably the most decadent academic experience of my life. I took decadent. a decadent. It was decadent. You know, if, if you are allowed to take a class and not have to, you know, hit the requirements, you're not mm. necessarily worried about a grade, you are just there to have information inputted into your brain and to learn from some of the best scholars in the world. Like it was decadent. That's the only way I could describe that year. And one of the classes I took was the sociology of international development. And this was after I'd spent seven years as a diplomat working on development issues with technology. And one thing that that class taught me was that many times when Western countries build development programs, it ends up hurting the communities that you're trying to help. And a reason for that is you're not involving the folks and the cultures of the people you are trying to help. And so what works in the United States probably won't work in Guatemala right, or certain parts of it. So it definitely opened my eyes on the importance of factoring in the voice and the thoughts and the experience and the knowledge of the people you are trying to help and have them help guide you in building out programs. And I think that's 100% of what we do at Slack and Slack for Good is, again, we are not the expert, but we partner with people who are and bring our skill set, which is, our empathy, our ability to build great software to the solution that we are all building together. So it was, was fantastic. I hope to do it again someday.
0: I can't even imagine, I, I visited that campus once. It's like being in Disneyland. I mean, it's the most beautiful campus I've ever been on. People are smiling, there's like little robots mowing the lawn, everyone's biking and waving and there's like happiness everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it's obscene.
0: So when you said decadent, I kind of get what you mean and yeah. that, well, it's funny because you're in a bubble, but it's like a bright bubble in so many ways because so many incredible things come from that campus
1: yeah. for and the it's world. A, it's amazing when I say that it was the most decadent, but all I did was destroy how I thought about things for the last six years. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's the point of education. It is. is to have it's you think the question. And the
0: question, it should always be question. I also think that we should, there's a reason why the word agitator or agitating, it's not necessarily a bad word, as long as you do it in a way that's productive, right? And performative. My my last question, but I always say that it's not really the last question. It's not a trick though. Your title is head of Slack for Good and Public Affairs. Yeah. So what do you do in your public affairs role? And can you talk about the intersectionality between those two?
1: Sure. I mean, so public affairs is government affairs and our community affairs. So that is about what sort of positions as a company we choose to weigh in on. So for example, if things came out, supporting the dreamers, for example, and legislation to protect the dreamers, whether or not we decide to sign on to letters of support for changing legislation. So that's a big, big piece of it. And then there's the other standard piece of making sure well, there isn't legislation that slows down our growth.
0: And as part of that role, talking to your colleagues and other kind of big tech and other tech firms, both in the Valley and, and elsewhere. So yep. you can, when you need to, you can coalition build and 100%. caucus and all that stuff.
1: Yep. It's a powerful thing when the tech sector comes together and takes a position on a social issue, it matters. And so I think it's it's really important that, we as a community continue to keep doing that.
0: Where do you think the biggest opportunity for good is from the tech sector in the next few years, in addition to what we just talked about? And and I don't just mean Slack, I just mean the tech sector in general.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just put you on the spot. But I just think that when you think about AI for good, you think about the way technology can be used to democratize and to empower everything that we're talking about. So often headlines get consumed by, and I think a lot of it obviously is politically motivated, how you know tech has this like stranglehold on freedom when it's exact opposite, actually. So I'm just wondering, when you think about from a positive standpoint, I don't want to talk about the negatives. I'm done talking about negative things. I just can't anymore. I'm, I'm, I think we're all burnt out of negatives. How do you see, you know tech really helping to create more equity, more equality, more opportunity for those who are disenfranchised or living in the margin.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is one, we now recognize it, that I think with everything that's happened in 2020, we recognize the inequalities even more than we did before. And that recognition of the society we're living in, when a lot of times it's easier to just ignore it is important. We can move more nimbly than government private sector can. And particularly smaller tech companies can move faster. And so we have an opportunity to think about how we can create systemic change in these areas of inequality in a way that other sectors and the government can't. And so I think giving opportunities to those who previously didn't have them is going to be really, really important. And making sure when we build products, we include the perspectives of everybody is going to be really important. So our products serve everybody, not just one group of people.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. That's one of like probably a hundred things I've learned over the last year is that people who build stuff need to be as diverse and as inclusive as humanly possible in order to be able to serve the people they're building it for as inclusively as possible. And it sounds yeah. so stupid, but actually, if you think about it, historically, it's mostly white guys building shit, and yeah. that's not helpful. And I say that as a cisgender white guy saying a lot of white guys build stuff, and it doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work for the future.
1: I agree, I mean, there's power in the fact there are different skin tones and emojis, right? Like, right. We recognize there are differences. There's power in making sure we talk about our pronouns. These things are all important and they they come about by having a diverse workforce.
0: Yeah, and also an educated workforce. So I feel like you also spend a lot of time educating your workforce and others, not what you're doing, but why you're doing it. Because if you just do it and don't explain the why, you can't assume everybody's gonna understand why it's important. And I've Correct. learned that the hard way.
1: Correct, and we are, I mean, going back to partners, we are so lucky, so lucky to have amazing partners. So we'll have Brian Stevenson come and speak and explain why. Our criminal justice system is not great or you know have celebrities come in just because they care about the issue so we're we're very lucky
0: well i feel lucky to have you and representing slack on the show i appreciate it i really do and i appreciate everything that you're doing and that slack's done for us and just overall i feel like i don't know if i had been able to hold the culture of my company together had it not been for slack during the pandemic because it's different than the other tools. So I appreciate that, even though it wasn't the intention. And I don't think anybody ever wanted to ever say, well, we hope that this happens so then our company can can help bring us together or hold us together. But I think Slack has been a critical component to keeping companies and people together during the toughest of time. So thank thank you. And thanks for coming on.
1: Well, I appreciate it and you. So thank you so much.
0: This has been an episode of Brand On Purpose with Aaron Quitkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsey Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquitkin.com.